welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friend. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com. And today's episode finds us continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We are on podcast episode 102, and today we're working through Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and we're working through, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. My numbering on my episodes may be off a bit, Um, but hopefully I'm back on track now. So if I still messed up this one, I apologize. I did a bit of schedule shifting and I wasn't in a place to fix it before the episodes went up. We were on vacation and we're home now. And now that we're home, we're in the midst of a kitchen remodel, which I'm super excited about, but I feel a little bit in chaos at the moment. So I am hoping though to share some photos and video as we move through this kitchen remodel process through my social media and my email list. And speaking of that email list, friend, that's I've got a good segue into that. Did you catch that there? I'd love you, if you don't yet, to please subscribe to my email list. If you don't yet, social media can all go away. But if you're on my email list, you can continue to get updates when new episodes or blog posts go up. And then I do, I don't email too frequently. So Um, Really, besides getting those updates when something new goes out, I usually just send out a monthly newsletter. It may have a short devotional in it. I'll put some recommended links and resources that maybe I've come across over the past month, things I'm reading, stuff like that. And then you also, as a, um, a free email subscriber, you get access to the free library at the blog, which I'm continuing to put up um, some new resources for uh, blog subscribers. So I'd love you to do that. And then also, I need to get all this um, housekeeping stuff. I feel like it's been a little bit since I've been here with you. But before we get started, if you're just joining us, all the episodes will be linked in the show notes. So you can go back and listen. You know, if you're just popping in here on the Sermon on the Mountain, this is the first one you're catching. You can go back. I'm going to link to it and catch all the ones that you haven't got to work through yet. There is no hurry here. Today, this is the eighth episode in the series, and we're working through the seventh beatitude. So again, God's word isn't going anywhere. So if you'd like to go through this series, please jump in as it works with your schedule. No pressure here. I also share in the show notes some of my favorite resources that I utilize in working through the series. If you want to dig deeper on your own, I have some solid recommendations there Uh, to refer you to. So make sure you check them out. And some of them I got, and I'm very thankful, besides my husband and what my pastor uses, I've gotten some great recommendations from my friends at the Bar Network. Some of my my trusted um, men that are on the network there, just I think of Lee from Guys with Bibles and Daryl Harrison from Just Thinking Podcast. When I just threw back in there last year when I was starting the series, they threw out some great recommendations for me. So those are a lot of the ones I've been utilizing, and those are the ones that are there in the show notes. And uh, one important, our important reminder here before we begin, this is important. The Beatitudes are not being listed here by Jesus as entrance requirements into the kingdom. They are, as we work through these, we want to remember this key quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones that he has stated, 
They are the characteristics of those in the kingdom. So these are characteristics that those of us in Christ should be pursuing and growing in and reminding ourselves that only the Lord can bring about true change in our lives. They are matters of the heart and our Jesus, he is in the business of changing hearts and lives. So we see a beautiful picture painted here in the Beatitudes of those who are poor in spirit, mourning over their sin, who are meek, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, who are merciful and desire to be pure in heart, and they will have a profound effect on how we treat and interact with others. And one result that will naturally come about in our lives as believers is that we will be peacemakers. We've talked before about the order of the Beatitudes and think about them as maybe steps in a ladder. You can't just start going up a ladder in the middle of it. You have to start at the bottom rung. You have to go in order. The Beatitudes start with the realization that we are sinners against a holy God and we can do nothing to save ourselves. We need Jesus. The Beatitudes are like the Ten Commandments in our lives. They reveal our sin and they show us our great need of a Savior. So ladies, before we can be peacemakers, we first have to have had to experience peace with God ourselves. We must have bowed the knee before the Lord in confessing our sins and repenting of them and putting our faith and trust fully in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Once we are in Christ, we are now given the great privilege to be his peacemakers, bringing others the truth of where they can find true peace. And it's only in a right relationship with the Lord. This is where it begins. For us to even begin to be peacemakers, we must find ourselves selfless, not with our own agenda, but with God's agenda. So let's work through, this is still my intro here. Thank you for being patient with me. Let's work through God's agenda on what he desires of us to be peacemakers because they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9, I'm going to read it again. And later on, as we move down, I'm going to read all um, from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. But let me start here. So as always, if you're sitting somewhere and you can have your Bible or your Um, your Bible app open on your phone or wherever you're at, please do. I have a lot of verses that I'm going to work through as we go through this, and they will, again, all be referenced in the show notes. So don't feel if you're not in that place, you have to write them all down. They're going to be there for you to go back and look at. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So Jesus, again, begins this beatitude with the word, blessed. So he's saying, happy are the peacemakers. The Bible begins with peace, God setting man and woman in a garden of peace, and then the fall interrupted that peace. Then Jesus comes and brings peace to the hearts of those who come into a right relationship with him. And one day, our Lord Jesus will return and establish a kingdom of peace, and those of us in Christ will enjoy eternal peace. John MacArthur kind of summarized all that this way. He said, So really, the story of redemption is the story of peace. Peace forfeited, peace regained in the heart, peace regained on the earth, and finally, peace regained in the eternal state. He also noted, There are, in fact, 
nearly 400 references to peace in the scripture. The only reason there is presently no peace is because there is a major conflict going on in the world that can be summarized simply in this sense. Man is at war with God. That's the problem, and that has been the problem since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Since the fall, when peace was totally disrupted and taken from the earth, there is an ongoing war with God. Not only is man at war with God, but so is Satan and his host of fallen angels. Consequently, there is conflict both at the angelic level and at the human level in this universe, end quote there. And I am going to link, those two quotes are from a sermon of his that he did on this verse. And the quotes are, will be in the show notes, and I'll link to those sermons in there too, if you want to read or listen to the whole thing. So being peacemakers is important to God. Our God is the God of peace. He has made peace for us through Christ, has reconciled us to himself, and he now calls us to be peacemakers. So before we work through what being a peacemaker is, let's begin how I always like to, it seems, describing what a peacemaker isn't. We are not peacemakers like the world would think of as peacemakers. When we hear the word peacemaker, too often our minds might go to how the world defines peace. We might think of things like avoiding conflict, or we may think of world peace, or people who just seem calm and serene, or people who are pacifists, or those who will do whatever it takes to get peace at any cost. This isn't what the beatitude is pointing us towards. It also doesn't mean peacekeepers. Did you catch that there? Not makers, peace keepers. Many get this term mixed up with peacemakers. A peacekeeper would preserve peace at all costs. They avoid dealing with the issue at hand just to keep others happy, or as we hear said so often, just to keep the peace. But keeping true peace doesn't mean we avoid conflict or avoid truth just to make everyone happy. We don't I, this is a good point to make here, though. We don't need to be continually causing strife and pointing out every little sin and walking around calling everyone out self-righteously, but we don't want to find ourselves sacrificing truth. We don't want to compromise, and there is still a right way to do that. And those in the family of God will resemble their father, capital F there, and desire to be peacemakers as their father is a peacemaker. James 3.17 tells us, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So both in that James verse and in the Beatitudes, we see that purity of heart is listed there before peacemaking. Because if our hearts aren't pure, if they're filled with bitterness or envy or jealousy or gossip or slander, we are not going to be peacemakers. James 3, 14 to 16, just the verses right before 17 there say, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So without purity in our hearts, our hearts are going to bring about disorder. And as 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. True biblical wisdom will bring about unity, love, and peace. 
Wisdom that is peaceable doesn't mean peace at any cost. Again, we don't want to compromise and pursue peace at the cost of purity or truth. And on the other hand, we don't want to go around and just be troublemakers. We don't want to go around just causing division or disunity among others, always in being in the midst of or starting quarrels. We don't want to be a troublemaker. So Romans 12, 18 tells us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably, sorry, that was a little tongue twister there, live peaceably with all. Paul is stating here in this Roman, in Romans 12, 18, that it's not always possible to be at peace with everyone, even if you've gone about it in a right and a God honoring way. Most of us have probably lived long enough to, to see this lived out, that it's some people, it's just not possible to live peaceably with, but it doesn't mean that we don't try. And Paul continues on in Romans, and really all of Romans chapter 12 is a good read on our relations with others. But let me continue reading here from verses um, in chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Paul states, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So we need to remember that the Lord is sovereign over all, and he will make all things right in his time and in his way. God is the final judge, so we are to do good to wrongdoers and know that God will punish them on the last day if they refuse to repent. I have a quick side note here on that verse, just as I was studying through. We we always hear that phrase, heap burning coals on their head, and we hear it in referring to doing good to others so they'll feel bad about their behavior or actions and repent. And that is truly possible. But another interpretation of this verse that I came across um, it was sh- it shared that in the Old Testament, burning coals always represented punishment. So another way to understand this verse is as believers to do good to wrongdoers, and we recognize that God will punish them on the last day if they refuse to repent. And also something to remember, sometimes the overcoming evil with good, It may include the civil authorities stopping the evil force by the police or the military. Check out Romans 13 there. That's just one of those things to study and look into a bit more next time you come across it in your reading. It'll stand out to you now, and you're going to want to dig a little deeper. So let's start working through what it means here to be a peacemaker. Warren Wiersbe said, Christians should bring peace between people and God, and between those who are at odds with other. And we're going to work through that thinking here today. So I want to refresh our memory, and I want to read through the first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5, and then we're going to hone in on verse 9. But I just want to bring this back to you, so just sit and listen or read along with me. I'm utilizing the ESV translation. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied." 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And our text today that we're focusing in on is Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be a peacemaker, I stated this earlier, but it's important. This is key. We need to be at peace with God. It starts here. We must no longer be God's enemy. It means, as we stated again at the beginning of our time, we saw clearly our own depravity before the Lord. We clearly saw that we were sinners before a holy God. We were convicted of our sins. We repented of them. That means we turned from them. We changed the direction of our lives, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. To be made right with God is purely of faith. Nothing we can do to earn salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. God is the supreme peacemaker, and he has made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And now as his children, we should resemble our father and be peacemakers. It is people like this who shall be called, as our verse continues, sons of God. Peacemakers will be people who desire to share the gospel of peace with those outside the kingdom. This is evangelism. This is telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. Peacemaker in the means in the Greek, pretty simply, to make peace. <laughs> it's active, meaning someone who is actively pursuing peace in its fullness. A root word in the Greek here, in our word here for peacemaker is, it looks like Irene. I'm sure it's not pronounced that way, but it's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E. And it's derived from the verb ero, E-I-R-O, which means to bind or join together that which is broken or divided. So it's giving us the picture of setting at one again. Peacemakers are those who facilitate the binding together of those who were divided. Jesus is referring here to those who are actively binding together those who are divided. The peace Jesus came to establish is between man and God. Sinclair Ferguson stated on this verse, the Old Testament word for peace is shalom. It is a rich word and it conveys the idea of wholeness, health, well-being. It could almost be translated salvation. Those who make peace, he continues, are those who earnestly seek the shalom, the salvation of their fellows. End quote there. So our evangelism, my dear sister out there listening, is not an option. It is the duty of every believer. And I'm preaching here to myself too, which is what I do in every podcast episode. So if this is an area you struggle in, I encourage you to make sure you first are in Christ and make sure you have a good understanding of the gospel. And if you need a bit of encouragement, 
I do have a podcast episode in my spiritual discipline series on evangelism to give a listen to that may give you a little boost there. And I also encourage you to get equipped either in your church, if they offer classes on evangelism or study yourself, going through the resources at Living Waters. Um, Evangelism Explosion is another one that comes to mind. But truly, begin with prayer. Ask the Lord to help you to be bold in sharing your faith with others. Pray and ask the Lord to place people in your life to share your faith with and just start telling others the good news of the gospel. Start that within the four walls of your own home. Your children are not born Christians, right? We are born in sin. They need to continually hear the good news of the gospel, and they need to see the fruit of it lived out in your life. Your husband needs to see this if he's not a believer, and your other family members, extended family. So start there. Romans 1 verses 4, Romans chapter 1 verses 14 to 16 say, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I understand we are all equipped differently in this area, but it is no excuse. We are still all called to tell others about Jesus. The verse tells us those who make peace are called sons of God. So if we are a Christian, we are a son of God, and we are all to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers isn't just describing those who live in peace, but again, those who bring about peace. They are overcoming evil with good. And one way this is accomplished The main way is by spreading the gospel. God has given us as his children the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So through evangelism, we desire to make peace between man and God. One other way, now that we are peacemakers, is by bringing about unity among the family of God. We work for reconciliation, especially among God's children. God's will for his children is peace and unity. Jesus prayed for our unity as believers in John 17, verses 20 to 21. They read, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And Colossians 3.15 tells us, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Our Kent Hughes, in his um, commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, stated, How much misery we would avoid if we permitted the peace of Christ to umpire our hearts. How many words we would hold back if he were the arbitrator in our lives. How many sleepless nights we would forgo if we did that. How the church needs this too. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Paul is urging us to practice humility and gentleness with patience. And then in verse 3, the Apostle Paul tells us we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Peace is the cord that ties us all together. In and of ourselves, ladies, we wouldn't act as one body in unity, but now being at peace with God, we are able to accomplish that. John Owen gives us a good picture illustration of this particular verse there in Ephesians. He said, imagine a man collecting wood for his fireplace. He finds a good supply of branches, but they are varied shapes and sizes, some long and thin, others short and thick, some straight, others twisted. He binds them together with a rope and in one bundle easily carries them home. We are a varied bunch in the church, right? We know this. And the Lord ties us together and he's going to carry us home. Jesus ties us together with the bond of peace. Jesus has tied that cord together and we don't want to be the ones to sever it. We want to faithfully work to be peacemakers in our churches. We want to faithfully work at being peacemakers in our homes and our places of work and within our extended families. Being a peacemaker means when there's a problem that needs addressing, we address it. We don't want to act as every that just everything is okay when it isn't. And I know we addressed some of this at the beginning, but it's important to grasp that true peacemakers are willing to risk pain. We may need to deal with areas where we've been wrong and make it right. We may need to confront someone in love because if we don't address an issue at hand, it might get worse. We want to, as it's stated in Ephesians 4.3, to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then also, as it states in Romans 14.19, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And this brings us back to Romans 12.18 again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. A peacemaker is as it states in James 3.17 and 18. They are pure peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peacemakers realize that they're fallen. They do not demand perfection. They offer much grace and they are humble and loving. Our Kent Hughes stated, he said, how beautiful true peacemakers are. Filled with peace themselves, they are honest about the state of the relationships around them, whether personal or in the church or in the world. They are honest about what is in their own hearts and sensitive to where others are. They refuse to be satisfied with cheap peace, to say peace, peace, when there is not. They are willing to risk pain and misunderstanding to make things right. Peacemakers, he says, will even fight for peace, end quote there. So peace is more than just the absence of conflict. You can be in the midst of conflict and have true peace. And I really wanted to go through this briefly here. God promises to give us peace and contentment if we trust him. Let me read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trusting God is not always easy, but it's also not complex. 
this is a podcast topic of its own here. And I talked some about it in my podcast episode two. Um, give me a lot of grace there. That was only the second episode I ever recorded, but it was called, I believe it was called Trusting God in the Midst of Your Trials. And I'll link to it in the show notes. But the reminder here is we can't experience the peace of God that replaces anxiety in the life of a prayerful believer as described there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 until we are already at peace with God through faith in Christ. Peace with God is the antidote for anxiety. And peace does not mean the absence of trials or difficulties, or even as we're talking here, conflict and challenging situations that may need confronted. But it is knowing that we are not alone in those trials and there is purpose in and through them. God is always with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And the reminder we all need continually in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to, for those who are called according to his purpose. Our inward peace is a result of turning to the Lord and trusting him in all things and committing everything to his trustworthy hands. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the ultimate example of a peacemaker. He is the Prince of Peace that Isaiah prophesied about in chapter 9 there, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Jesus is the source of peace among all men. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 tell us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus becomes our peace, and he works peace in our hearts. John 14, 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's one of my favorite verses. And Jesus shows us what it looks like to live as life, to live life as a true peacemaker. Some familiar pass, a very familiar passage here in Philippians chapter two. I'm reading verses three through eight. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Kent Hughes stated on this particular passage, he said, in obtaining our peace, our Lord, didn't grasp his glory, this glory and dignity, but instead he humbled himself. The example stands for us who are called to be peacemaking. 
This is expensive. It costs to make peace. Peacemakers are willing to lower themselves, to even lose their dignity in order to bring shalom to life. This is the way peacemakers have always been. And my friends, Elizabeth Elliot reminds us, this quote goes so well with these verses. And stick with me here. Don't leave me yet. I've got some, just some good closing with Martin Lloyd-Jones you do not want to miss. But Elizabeth Elliot reminds us on this particular verse that goes well with those um, verses in Philippians. She said, a Christian home should be a place of peace and there can be no peace where there is no self-denial. So as we continue on in this, in our verse, the benefit of being peacemakers where we continued on in Matthew 5, 9 is they shall be called sons of God. The Greek word order here, if we were to read it in the Greek would read, this is a tongue twister, so I'm going to try to do this correctly. For they sons of God shall be called. I love that. They, the peacemakers talking, they, they, the peacemakers and no others shall be called God's sons. The passive voice here indicates that it is God, not man, who assigns the title sons. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, and again, before I quote, stop what you're doing. If you're washing dishes or folding laundry, just stop for just, I don't even know if it's 30 seconds, and pause. Focus on this truth that he stated on this part of the verse. He was referencing, for they shall be called sons of God. This is beautiful. Take a moment and take this in. He says, Let me sum it all up like this. The benediction pronounced on such people is that they shall be called the children of God. Called means owned. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be owned as the children of God. Who is going to own them? God is going to own them as his own children. It means that a peacemaker is a child of God and that he is like his father, end quote there. So friend, to be a peacemaker is to be like God and like the son of God, to be like Jesus. As we close today, let me give us a few questions to ask ourselves, to ponder through. Are we truly at peace with God? And if so, are we peacemakers? Are we actively seeking to reconcile others with God? Are we pursuing peace in our homes and our churches? Or do we find ourselves stirring up trouble in our homes and churches? Are we addressing issues that need addressed and not avoiding them? And in the midst of that, are we making sure that we are not just being peacekeepers or we're not being troublemakers, but are we truly being peacemakers? And when we do this, Is it with a humility and love towards others, desiring true unity and to bring honor to the Lord? Or is it just to be right or to just make a point? So are you, are you a peacemaking daughter of God, my friend? Do you bear a family resemblance to Jesus? And if not, you need to ask yourself, why? I want to close our time with the words of the doctor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, on this particular passage. And this is how he ended his chapter in that lovely book that I'm always recommending, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how he ended his chapter. And I, I did a little changing there. He, I'm going to, re- in his verse, he referenced 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. 
and I'm not even sure it was King James Version. It was seemed a little bit a little bit more archaic for me um, to read. It was a little challenging. So I replaced those verses with the ESV. But if you look at the, my show notes, I put the full original quote with the, the Bible version that he used in it. But I'm going to read the verses he quoted from the ESV. So he said, You finish with self, and then you begin to follow Jesus Christ. You realize what he did for you in order that you might enjoy that blessed peace of God, and you begin to desire that everybody else should have it. So forgetting self and humbling self, you follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is it. God gives us the grace to see this blessed, glorious truth and make us reflections, reproducers of the Prince of Peace and truly children of the God of Peace, end quote there. And I want to finish with the verse. And again, I quoted from Martin Lloyd-Jones in that passage from 1 Peter 2, 23. And I want to continue as I'm closing here and read verse 24 there in 1 Peter chapter 2. He, referencing Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Such a reminder that if you are in Christ, Jesus truly is enough always, my friend. I am so thankful for you and for your time today. And as always, the full show notes are at my home on the web at thankfulhomemaker.com. And I do pray you have a very blessed week, my dear friend. 